Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, the high-stakes media industry upfront season for 2024 landed with a bang this week. That's where media companies showcase their big plans and innovation to woo brand and agency budgets. All up, there's circa $14 billion to carve up next year. And early out of the blocks was the sprawling broadcast publishing and audio machine that is nine. Of course, there's no shortage of challenges for the $3.3 billion group. Its share price has been rollercoasting this year as investors grapple with audience bleeds from the free-to-air linear TV business and costs for a world-first Olympics deal to Brisbane out till 2032, in which Nine has landed the media rights for everything in Australia bar out of home, which is held by QMS. Nine fired off a slew of big-ticket initiatives and strategic overhauls in programming on Wednesday. One was a self-service digital video ad platform to take on YouTube, TikTok, and Meta, in which smaller businesses can tap AI to build a video ad campaign and buy advertising slots in one swoop across Nine's digital assets. Another was an offense-defense play, really, into the booming retailer media business, which is perhaps already taking big licks of traditional media budgets and is forecast to overtake TV in a few years in the US because of retailers' proximity to a customer purchase decision. That danger is clear and present for Nine, and it's responded. But it all starts with audiences for a media company, and that's been super challenged in broadcasting particularly, hasn't it? So on the mics today to talk about that elephant in the TV ratings room and beyond is Nine's Chief Marketing Officer, Liana Dubois, and Chief Sales Officer, Michael Stevenson. Welcome to you both. It's been a busy, busy week. Uh, We're going to get to Nine's master plan with Liana to tackle the great audience migration that's been underway for the past 18 months in free-to-air TV. I think 20% year-on-year declines are not pretty. But Michael Stevenson, I have to ask you first, linear TV's once rivers of gold are slowing. 300 million was tipped to exit linear TV this year, and uh, and I'm hearing it could be sort of even bigger. So Michael, first up, how would you define the mood and where the money is going? And welcome, Mr. Stevenson. It's been a bit busy. Uh, Thanks for having me, Paul. And thank you for your, um, your question, which has multiple components to it. I know Lee will go into great detail around around audiences, but you know, right off the top, I think it's it's really important to to make sure everyone's very clear. And you've heard us talk about this at length over the last couple of years that television has changed, and the whole notion of total television, the combination of of live linear, live streaming, and on demand television is today's TV. And so, looking at any of those components in isolation is is dangerous. So we'll start with that because I know that's going to be a recurring and common theme over the course of the. The rest of this interview, in terms of ad markets, you know, again, uh, we look at television through a total total television lens. You know, in the last twelve months, FY twenty three, the linear TV market as a subset of total television declined somewhere in the order of order of ten percent. I think everything um, has a relativity, and of course, that decline comes off the back of um, one of television's biggest years and and the post COVID recovery, which saw you know um, an immediate return back to pre-COVID levels in the 12 months following COVID, which so you've, got to, you've got to normalise things, I think, over a period. If you do go back in time and have a look at linear television revenue markets, 
they've declined over the past um, five or six years by somewhere between two or three percent as a CAGR. And when you normalise that, that's about where television television is back to today. So business as usual, you say, Michael? Well, it's not business as usual because consumer behaviour has fundamentally changed. So as I mentioned, we don't look at linear television in isolation. I just thought it was important to sort of set the record straight. Uh, we look at it in combination with with uh, live streaming and, and catch up. And it's our view that through the through the midterm, the combination of live live linear, live streaming and on demand will be in low single digit growth as a as a marketplace. Uh, notwithstanding, of course, the current economic cycle which which has impacted almost every category. Okay, so take your point on 10%. I hear anecdotally that it might be tracking TV free-to-wear linear TV, this is, is might be tracking closer to 15% now, Michael. Is is the exit out of television, linear television, in terms of uh, advertising at least, escalating? Is it rising at the moment in the current year? No, I don't think so. You know, we've uh, we've just come off our uh, results presentation to the investor market and to the, to the stock market, and we, you know, we're very public around our view on linear television markets, which was... You know, July and August were broadly in line with what we saw in FY23. We've seen a recovery, albeit still in decline, in September. And whilst we have a we have volume in our trading systems for uh, the December quarter, a little early to tell in terms of what the, the high level market will be. That being said, the media buyers that I'm speaking to um, in all of the five big groups are all more optimistic. I'm just being a little bit cautious until I've got until I've got my my fingers a bit closer to the action and I can see tangible results. But what I am confident in, again, to reiterate, is that notion or the combination of total television um, through the midterm will be in low single-digit growth. And I do think we are getting towards the bottom of the ad market cycle. Okay. So you talk about total TV with all those components. Is the swap out going according to plan, i.e., not audiences but revenue? Is the revenue that's coming out of linear, I'm, I'm assuming if you say 10%, Linear TV's what three point three billion thereabouts, Michael. So that three to three hundred and fifty million dollars is it coming out of Linear TV and going into your digital assets and BVOD, or is it is it spreading more broadly? And I think what I'm hearing is out of home uh, is picking up some stuff, cinema, and perhaps on BVOD, of course, as well. What's your sense on where that money is going when it's coming out of Linear? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely seeing the growth, obviously, in uh, in BVOD, in Nightmare for us, and that is both ad revenue coming from Linear into BVOD live streaming or on demand as audiences move there, uh, which we would expect. At the same time, you know, we're very focused on entering the digital video market and seeing money move back from um, less efficient social video platforms back into the premium environment environment that we have. So that is the, the shape of revenue. Um, and as I said, it'll be the combination of those things that see us in low single-digit growth uh, through that cycle. At Nine, of course, we are also lucky that we're not just a total television business. We also have assets in radio, streaming audio, print, and digital publishing. So every one of those assets is in a different part of a cycle, which uh, allows Nine to be less leveraged to the vagaries of the, uh, of the particular markets. One more question, Michael, which is both at a market level and an, at a level for nine. Just to reiterate, the decline you're seeing in revenues from linear TV, are you swapping it directly out into your other assets for nine? And what do you think is happening with the market? So that money coming out of linear TV and into other assets that you own and, the, and that other broadcasters own, is it a direct swap out? It will be through the cycle. It's not right at this particular point on the basis that, you know, BVOD is not immune to economic conditions. So, you know, we see inflationary pressure on household budgets. We see the impact of rising interest rates. We see the impact of supply chain issue 
et cetera, et cetera. So BVOD is not immune, just like no media asset is immune to, to the economic environment. But in the midterm, we will, we will definitely see that. And, you know, through this current period that we're in, Nine, of course, is doing a little better than, than others because we continue to take share in all of those asset classes. In the last 12 months, we're nearly a 41% share of linear television, metro markets, a 39% share in regional markets, a 50% share in the BVOD market. So we're able to grow our share to offset some of those market challenges. But of course, as I said, like all cycles end and markets do recover. And um, I do believe we're nearing the bottom of that cycle. So the midterm that you talk about, is that two to three years in the cycle that you're flagging? Yeah, I think we start to see recovery into, you know, certainly I think there will be some green shoots into the December quarter, into early next year, you start to see markets recover. And the plan that we have is obviously over the next three to five years in terms of uh, what we believe the future shape of revenue will look like. Okay, so that's three to five for BVOD and your other assets picking up whatever happens to Linear TV. Now, Liana, with that context, you have a growth plan on audiences. In fact, I think you think population growth could be an antidote to this whole fracturing um, audience narrative that's in the market. It's quite dominant. What's happening with television audiences? They're in decline. But only if you can get more diverse content slate, a more diverse content slate, and sort of the viewing experience is right for the young, the lapsed, and the light viewers, and I think millions of immigrants. So just give us the rationale for your optimism. You're, You're a little bit upbeat about all this. First of all, Paul, thanks for having me this morning. So look, I think it's less about the uh, reality that our country is a growth market and that population is set to exceed, I think it's roughly 30 million people by the time we get to the Brisbane 2032 Games. Uh, It's less about that being an antidote and more about the fact that it's a huge opportunity for an organisation like Nine. We are Australia's media company. Today, we reach roughly 98% of the country on any given month. And so, you know, when I think about the fact that by 2032 we'll be a population of 30 mil instead of the 26 and a half odd that we are today, I see that as a huge opportunity. The reality is is that those Australians will want um, more content increasingly and they will want that content to be easily accessible via, you know, the distribution platforms like what we have at Nine with a user experience that is sort of seamless and, and frictionless. If I focus specifically on total television, and just to pick up on something that Steve-O said earlier, all we are talking about when we talk about the migration of audiences from the broadcast environment to the digital environment is a technological change, like what we have seen for many, many years in television. You know, new television sets are being bought, you know, with frequency across this country and more connected televisions and more devices just generally are being purchased by the Australian population. So, All we're actually talking about is the migration of people from watching their television through an antenna to watching their television through the Wi-Fi. There's about 11 million homes roughly in Australia today. On on average, they have about six and a half million devices in each of those homes. So on back of the napkin math, I think that's about 71 and a half million devices that we can inhabit today. And that for me is a huge opportunity. So I'm I'm not sure if it's optimism or if it's just math. But certainly we do have a strategy to grow. Well, I think your calculations were right, at least. So that's good maths. The the big question here, though, Liana, is when you talk about that technological shift and how uh, media and, and television video is being consumed, but I guess the big question for you, like, like it is for Michael, is is there a direct swap out from what you're seeing on an audience front between what you're seeing in linear to your other digital assets? Is it a like-for-like swap out yet? Because there's a gap. I think there's a gap. Most are talking about sort of a perhaps if there's 20% bleed in audience, we might be getting to 12 to 13% being replaced 
in BVOD or in digital broadcast assets. Is that the case? How are you seeing it at the moment? It's a really good question. So I think there are some like-for-like comparables. So if you look at our formats, our big formats, or something like sport as a genre generally, things uh, like the NRL, for example, you know, we are seeing total television in growth across those sorts of properties. We, we are seeing total television in growth. I think the, the question that you're really asking, though, is how does that translate more broadly? And that really speaks to uh, a couple of things for me. Number one is, you know, consumers are transitioning their behaviour and that's not an overnight transition and it does take time. You know, one of the reasons why in the total television space prominence is such a critical you know, strategy to deliver on is because we need to ensure that Nine, as Australia's media company, is, you know, available and accessible and easy to find in, you know, the almost 100% of homes that it has been since its inception back in the late 50s. Um, so prominence is a critical strategy there. Just to be clear that. on that for the audience, if they're not sure, I mean, prominence is about what the industry is trying to do and ensuring that Australian broadcasters get prominence on the smart television screens and menus and so forth, correct? So prominence relates to ensuring that we are front and centre on the homepage when you turn on a connected television. But for me, prominence is actually much more broad than that because, as I say, you know, there's six and a half million devices in those 11 million homes only two of those devices are connected televisions. So there's another four and a half that we also need to be prominent on. So prominence is a big play. And then strategically, when we think about, you know, we've, we've done a slew of qualitative and quantitative um, research to understand what it is that the Australian population is looking for um, from us. And we know that we have an ability to grow in the youth market. We know we have an ability to grow in more diverse communities in all of the definitions of, of that word, that D word. And we also know that we have a significant opportunity to drive future demand of audiences in our business by focusing on broadly audience segments of entertainment seekers, sports enthusiasts and news explorers, all of which are, you know, today a part of Nine's pedigree, but increasingly, as we understand from our audience insights research, um, important to the Australian population into the future. Okay, so I think Nine has what eighteen to twenty million logged in users. Is that right on your books? That's about roughly what's twenty million. Twenty million. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about those segments, there you talked about the young. Um, there's also lapsed and light viewers as well. That's part of the your grander strategy. What percentage of your of Nine's logged in user base fits within that that group that you see opportunity for growth to bring them back in? How are you carving that up? So I think important for everybody to understand that the 20 million logged in users are across Nine's total TV, total audio and total publishing ecosystem. If we focus specifically into the total television conversation, which we are doing this morning, there are 14 million signed in users inside Nine now. The great news is, is that there is a huge opportunity with those audiences that, that sort of we don't consider as the core or heavy, heavy users of our product. So our sustainable strategy for growth is simply, if I if I sort of drop, this industry loves language and giving things buzzwords and, and all that kind of stuff, but if I drop that light and lapsed language for a minute, all we are really talking about is an opportunity for people that consume us either infrequently or perhaps they only come to us for one or two of our things, how we can get them to come to us more often and at greater scale. That's ultimately what our strategy centres around. More people, more often. 
But it does beg two questions, doesn't it, Liana? And I'm sorry, I'm going to default to industry lingo rather than your fine, broader definitions. But the light yeah. lapsed infrequent, however we um, define those, they are light and lapsed or infrequent. I assume because the current content strategy at Nine is not necessarily landing with them as much and as well as it could. So is there a change in the content strategy to do that or what what are you going to do differently to get them back? And then how yeah. do you find them? Yeah, great question. So I mentioned before, we've, we've done a, a raft of both qualitative and quantitative research and what we're understanding is that there are generations of people that are really quite platform or channel agnostic. They do come for the content. There's a reason that that saying content is king exists. If I give you a really great example, a few months back on the Today Show, we had Logan Paul and KSI, um, who are two incredible sort of social media uh, influencers, if you will, uh, on the Today Show. And I've got to tell you, I've never seen so many teenagers in North Sydney at one given time by the thousands coming to see Logan Paul and KSI because we had content that was of interest to them. And so when we think about our content strategy ongoing, you know, focusing around that youth audience, those diverse communities, entertainment seekers, sports enthusiasts and news explorers, we are looking at things like managing our windows with Stan, for example, whereby we now have the opportunity and we have placed uh, Stan content on Channel 9 at sort of 9, 9.30 at night to diversify our audiences there. So earlier in the week, we launched Love Triangle Season 1 uh, or placed Love Triangle Season 1 on Channel 9. And that's really helping us to diversify that youth strategy there. It also obviously drives then subscription leads back to Stan for the season two drop of Love Triangle, which is a you know really important strategic lever. We're also about to light up pedestrian television, which is another great example of a fast channel strategy inside Nine Now that is curating, you know, incredibly chaotic content for a youth audience. Again, you know, another example of a strategic lever that we would pull there. And then there are other examples like the strategic change that we have made in the lead-in at 5 p.m., the lead-in to the 6 p.m. news. So we are uh, making a strategic change in the schedule to place Tipping Point, hosted by Todd Woodbridge, into that 5 p.m. slot. Now, the reason that that is a significant strategic change is because the 5 p.m. lead-in is actually a way that you attract audiences at scale early in the afternoon and then push them through the schedule into the evening. So push them through to the 6 p.m. current affair and then into the tent poles of, of the evening. So they're just sort of three examples of strategic content changes that we are making in order to be able to push towards growth. So, Liana, okay, I get this, this is programming changes. Still, you've got to find these audiences and remind them and tap them. So does this mean changes how you go to market as well as your content slate and what you're doing? How do you find them and then how do you pull them in? So we do have the privilege, obviously, of a, of a large first-party data asset, and we do have the ability to understand who's coming to us, who's a heavy user, who's coming to us with a lot of frequency, who's coming to us only um, potentially on an infrequent basis, or who maybe hasn't been with us for, let's say, six months. We have the ability to be able to understand those audiences and then to be able to go and sort of locate them whether that is on network across our other assets, i.e. publishing or radio, et cetera, or whether that's off network. And so increasingly we are looking at a targeted and a data approach in doing so. We obviously do invest off network. You know, while I am privileged to have an enormous owned asset because I am a media, we are a media organisation, 
We do absolutely invest off network in, you know, things like out of home or in cinema or in social platforms in order to be able to target those audiences and bring them aboard. And then one of the other things that is absolutely pivotal in our strategy is our distribution strategy and also our user experience. So we are making significant investments into the user experience to ensure that it is seamless, frictionless, and it keeps people in platform longer. So for example, in Nine Now, we've strategically invested in improving the live experience, which is where we find actually the most significant growth in that platform, not so much in BOD, but actually in the live curated schedule is where that growth is largely being led from. And by the way, just on that, I should say, this is where I get, I've got in trouble with Michael in the past because linear TV, he talks about that there is linear terrestrial or free-to-air and there is linear streaming and the linear streaming part of the business or behaviour is still powering. Absolutely. Get my stuff right, Paul. Yeah, look, I think it's a really good point, Paul. I think the industry does get tripped up on, on language because linear by definition in the dictionary just means sort of a straight line. Um, And that's what a curated schedule, whether it's in the broadcast antenna environment or in a Wi-Fi based digital environment, that's what it means. So, you know, we call it live in the streaming environment, but what it means is linear. It is a curated schedule put together by a programming team. Which ironically, even the streamers are doing. Um, They're bundling more, you know, uh, curated packages, aren't they? Indeed they are. Bit of copycatting. Yes. Back to the future. Um, So I did digress. So in terms of the UX, there's a little bit of personalization going on here as well. And I guess this is the bit, you know, if you're talking about trying to land with those younger audiences, the experience does, they're used to something different, are they? They want something different. I think it's a really good question. So so the investments that we've made into Nine Now really center around improving the live experience. Um, so things like full high definition, 4K, 5.1 surround sound, but also we have invested in sort of a new uh, live experience as you enter platform. So the content starts to play immediately as you enter platform, which actually hasn't been the case in the past. So it's much more like a live TV experience. And we're also, we are creating a, a schedule or, or sort of an EPG so that you can design or to use the personalization word, another industry fave, um, so that you can design your viewing experience there. So, you know, if we think about the viewing experience for the Olympics and the Paralympics, People will have the ability with, you know, 40 fast channels being launched to curate their viewing experience, you know, by event, by athlete, and a kind of a raft of other ways, which is incredibly exciting, I think, for, for viewers. So at, at a very top line level then, Liana, let's just talk total TV at the moment. Audiences for the next 12 months, total TV, will they be in growth for nine? So our strategy for sustainable growth is being clicked into place and certainly we're seeing you know, opportunities where formats and things like sport are in growth when it comes to total television. These things don't change overnight. It does take time. And so what we're really focused on doing is ensuring that the examples that we have in, you know, sport and in our large formats, which have got total TV in growth, that we are then extrapolating that out across um, the rest of that viewing experience. So that is certainly our goal as we stand here today. That does sound like you're giving yourself some wiggle room though, at least in the first year. So is your expectations, is your projections uh, growth or are you just not going to tell me? As we head towards the the Olympics and the Paralympics next year, I think the opportunity for nine is is immense. But as I say, these things, they do take time. And, you know, we are clicking every individual brick into the wall in order that we can transition our business and capitalise on the growth in the Australian population. One quick question before I get to Michael is the off-network part of what you do, Liana. 
I'm assuming there's there's bigger budgets going into off network to attract some of those audiences that you're trying to bring back, i.e., younger. Does it mean you're going to go more into the socials? Are you? I think we talked about some experiential. You're going to get down into culture a little bit more to capture the to the younger set. Are you going to be doing funky sort of rave shows yourself? And I acknowledge using the word rave show makes me sound like a fifty something year old white male. Funnily enough, I am. Liana, sorry. <laughs> Oh, I love a bit of humour to break up a podcast. Well, yes, thank you. Particularly when I'm trying to get uh, some decent data out of you. <laughs> so <laughs> when it comes to off-network, obviously, you know, we've, we've talked about the fact that we recognise that in order to grow our audiences sustainably and in the long term, we do need to absolutely invest in and capitalise off-network as well as using our own huge owned media asset. What I would say to you is that uh, we go, we will go where the audiences are. And so, you know, that may be for a particular segment, we will go into the socials. It may be for a particular segment, we'll go into out of home. Um, it may be that we might just pop up in culture. And as, as you sort of have queried, you know, from an activation or an experiential point of view, you may fa- find us in and around some things you haven't found us in before because we will fundamentally go where the people are. Okay. And so that does mean that where the people are going off network a bit more, so there will be more budget into off network is what you're suggesting there. You always love to get to the bottom of a budget conversation, don't you? <laughs> I, I think what's follow I think the money they really, tell me. <laughs> I think what's really important is that we are committed to going where the people are because we have a long-term sustainable audience growth strategy to deliver against. Michael Stevenson, your tap dancing partner, did well. Let's see if I can make any more progress uh, with you outside the massive Olympics program this week, which you launched. You had a couple of big responses to some really interesting and uh, challenging competitive plays in the media uh, in the media industry. A couple of them of interest were the Retail X initiative uh, in retailer media, the self-service platform with AI and, and a whole bunch of stuff there to take on the social platforms. Really interesting. And I think, you know, there's this other one, which we hopefully will get to, is in around your sort of uh, Trojan horse strategy in streaming to capture stand subscribers but not actually get them on stand that's a really interesting one too so give us the top line on the retail x initiative first michael are retailers going to eat media's lunch uh it's the forecast azure isn't it oh look i think the uh the emergence of retail media is obviously a thing it's been in and around in global markets for a number of years and more recently in australia um you are seeing obviously the likes of cartology through woolworth's Coles 360 at Coles, Chemist Warehouse, more recently David Jones, all launching or, or building on their, uh, their retail media products and experience. And, um, and I'm fascinated by that because, you know, we spend a lot of time um, thinking about and talking about the consumer journey and creating a full funnel marketing experience for brands. And at Nine, we're very fortunate to be able to have that. Everything from awareness at the top of the funnel to conversion at the bottom, um, we play a role in that. But when I look at retail media in isolation, it's only part of the journey. So um, highly effective at getting people from the shopping centre car park to the shelf. But Nine is incredibly effective at getting people from the sofa to the shopping centre car park and right into the store. And so I believe that in partnership um, with retail media partners, we can create a program of work that allows them to, to extend and amplify their existing owned and earned assets, including the utilisation of our content and leveraging our content to create a more engaged experience in and around their digital platform. Well, I was going to ask, Michael, though, why do they need you? I think the, you know, what we are at our very core is a content data and technology business. And so the ability for us to, to work with um, our partners to create a deeper content experience on their platforms and to allow them to leverage our enormous first party data asset 
to create more effective advertising for their customers, I think is of great benefit. And of course, their customers happen to be our advertisers. Part two of this is, you know, the triumvirate relationship that, that I can see between ourselves at nine, retail media partner and advertiser to create new business models, new affiliate programs, create new data and ad products. Certainly, maybe into the future, it's joint ventures or who knows, even M&A activity. I think the, the opportunities for us based on our size and our scale and our asset base to be an excellent partner for people who are specifically focused on retail media, I think is can be of great benefit to everyone. Can you give us a sort of a, a perfect hypothetical of what that might look like for a particular brand company in a category, Michael? So I'm just trying to join the dots here of how all those parties, that chain uh, feeds up and, and stitches together. Yeah, well, if you're Advertiser X and you already have a relationship with um, a retail media company, you're obviously investing with those businesses, but your investment effectively allows you to connect with with your consumer uh, only at the, at the closest of the point of purchase. What I'm suggesting is how do we build a complete through-the-line proposition for you that allows you to connect with them at scale at the top of the funnel all the way through to conversion at the bottom. And the way in which we would do that is by creating specific content, either for utilization across our assets or for utilization on their own assets, either advertiser or retail media partner, creating new data and ad products. We've got 20 million signed-in users. How can we connect more effectively and more often in a more meaningful way with those people right through their consumer journey. I think that is that is something that that we can do because of our size and scale and unique assets that most others wouldn't be able to. What I'm fascinated by, and you know me pretty well, is that I believe that we should never settle for the status quo. So what does the relationship look like that for us in a triumvirate manner between retail media owner, nine, and an advertiser, what can that look like in the future? And I'm prepared to break down all the old models so new commercial models, new affiliate models, new products, long-term development in either content, data, or technology, we're willing to invest in and partner with. And I think the opportunities are endless in this space. So what's the appetite, Michael? I'm assuming you've had conversations. This is not a sort of a, uh, a roll of the dice without any context or, or conversations. Will they play? Will Cartology? Will Coles 360? Will Amplify it? David Jones? Will Chemist Warehouse and, you know, Endeavor Group, alcohol, liquor, are they interested? Yeah, so we've had quite a few conversations, uh, obviously, with potential partners. And, and I must add that, you know, our opportunity, what we're launching is a partnership program. And that partnership program is available to to any any of our partners that has owned or owned assets. I mean, increasingly, I'm, there'll, be, there'll be partners that have e-commerce functionality and first-party data assets to partner with us to explore what these opportunities could be. And you know, early conversations have been incredibly interesting and, you know, and, and exciting because I see the opportunity for everybody to benefit out of this. The retail media guys today are doing a great job, but it's only part of the journey. We can, we're, we're the other part. So if I was going to be a punter, would I say it would be Woolworths, Coles, David Jones, Chemist Warehouse, that would be first off the rank on this? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're obvious. They're, they're big partners of ours already. We have we have amazing relationships. We have deep advertising relationships. But how do we take that to the next level to allow them to grow their business and, and at the same time, we grow ours? 
Um, okay, so there's another interesting um, uh, rollout this week as well, which is this uh, SME platform or this kind of, well, I'll get you to explain it, Michael, really quickly, but it essentially allows small businesses to come in on a self-service platform, create an ad, create a video ad through some AI uh, help and buy slots to uh, place that ad that they've created in the platform and it's sort of targeting that smaller end, which of course is the big revenue machine for the Googles and Facebooks and Metas of the world, right? Yeah, I mean, like maybe maybe to explain why we've launched that, I step back a little bit. And our, our strategy here is relatively simple, protect the core. We've got proven media businesses in television, radio, uh, digital display and publishing, obviously, whilst at the same time redefining the markets that we operate in and creating products to accelerate into each of those markets. And so, you know, we think about those emerging markets. Obviously, the digital video market is is something that I've been talking to you about for quite some time. Digital audio, obviously. Retail media, which we've just been speaking about. And of course, last but definitely not least is the SME market. It is, uh, there's two and a half million SMEs in Australia. They spend right now $1.5 billion on social video advertising. And of course, why do they do that? Well, the social platforms have scale. Uh, they've got great first party data products and they are really easy to use, really easy to buy and transact with. And so, you know, my view has always been if we want to enter that market, then we need to be at least as good as those guys on the stuff that um, historically we would have thought of as their competitive advantage. So we now have the size and scale through Nine Now and our, our both streaming and on-demand video products. We've got 20 million signed-in users. We've got amazing data products and uh, segmentation with our Nine Tribes audience segments. And the final piece in the puzzle was to create a platform that allowed or to partner with a platform provider to allow them to transact easily. And that's what we've launched in Nine Ad Manager. We've been working uh, with Hulu for the last uh, eight or nine months. We use the same, the same product, we've licensed that product, integrated it into our existing tech stack, but importantly, uh, have built on the existing product and integrated an AI engine to create video creative in real time effectively. And so we've launched that at our upfronts. Um, I see it as a massive opportunity for Australia's small to medium enterprises to take and turn their small business into a big business using the power of television um, and the power of nines, nines brands at scale. Importantly, you know, one of the great benefits within the platform is you'll be able to target to both the postcode level and utilizing those nine tribes segments that I, that I just spoke about. So if you're the local restaurant, the local bar, the local retailer, you can target the four or five or six postcodes around your store target them, advertise them on the biggest screen in the house, utilizing creative that was built for free in real time in the platform. Really interesting. So the 1.5 billion that is spent on social video, Michael, what would you hope to capture in a couple of years on that? What is your expectations at least for SME revenues in this in, on this platform? Yeah, I mean, I'm highly competitive and have high expectations. So let me go back and tell you where we are today. So Right now, we have about 1,500 advertisers that advertise in Nine Now but don't advertise on Nine. So I think that is a that is a really critical data point that says we are already making inroads into the digital video market. But of course, the way I look at it, there's 2.4 million of them. So somewhere between 1,500 and 2.4 million is my target. And uh, you know, we're launching in terms of being able to use the product, use the platform in the next four to five weeks. And, um, you know, I expect it to scale really quickly. Um, we've got obviously some learnings from launching Nine Voyager back in the day. So this is not our first, our first attempt at this. 
But right now we've got the right strategy, we've got the right product, and we've got the scale to be able to make this a really meaningful uh, revenue line into the future. First year, is 50 mil reasonable? If it was $50 million, I would be ecstatic. I don't think it's anywhere near that to start with. But let me assure you again that, like, you know, my expectations are high over the course of the next three to five years, which is obviously our, our midterm trajectory that I spoke about earlier on. Let's get to the Olympics um, uh, initiatives, Michael. Uh, pretty interesting developments there. And I guess we should caveat by the fact that you do talk quite um, loudly and rightfully that this is a world first in terms of what Nine's done with the Olympics. I guess the broader sentiment, if we're looking at some of the conversations that MI3's had in market in recent months, even talking to the AOC, they've been sort of struggling to land some of their big key partners in some sectors, banking and and finance and insurance is is one example, getting uh, sponsors over the line saying it's pretty busy out there with sport and so forth. How's the sentiment in terms of the lead up to Paris next year and how you're bringing on um, signing up um, partners? Yeah, I mean, you're right. We Nine is unique, not just in Australia, but globally in terms of the asset base that we have and the rights, of course, that we've, that we've bought for the next 10 years are all rights, all platforms. So we have total media, total audio and digital rights for, for the next 10 years from Paris um, next year to Milan, LA, obviously the, the winters in, in uh, 2030 and then the big one, the home games, Brisbane 2032. The approach that we've taken um, so far is a fully um, united, integrated cross-platform approach across all of our assets, including access to and utilization of our first-party data and new Olympics tribes that we're creating and launching. So we have something that's very unique. We've made um, all of our presentations to the IOC and AOC partners um, and to a range of other advertisers that have an interest in the Olympic movement. We've made, uh, Matt Granger and his team have made over 40 presentations. Uh, we've just come to the end of the first stage. And the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive because what they're seeing from us is something that nobody else has seen before. They've never been able to do this. I've heard that before, Michael Stevenson. No one's seen this before. Is this a media first? <laughs> well, I'm a bit obsessed by it, but it's true. It's, you know, historically they've had to go to multiple providers to create one uh, mega marketing platform. And right here, they come straight to nine and we can provide everything that they will ever possibly need across all of our, all of our platforms. Very quickly, you've got uh, some superpowers inside HQ with an, an Olympics sort of showcase and process, which is essentially lands, by the time your potential partners come out the end, the roadmap is completed within hours of, uh, or am I overcooking that, Michael? Um, yeah, the process is definitely not complete within hours. Days, but, um, should I say. We have definitely taken a different approach. So right here at uh, One Denison Street in North Sydney, We've created an Olympics and Paralympics presentation arena. So when our partners come to hear our story and begin the journey with us, they really do get immersed in the tradition and the history of the Olympics. Until they turn the first corner, obviously, uh, what they get to experience is what Nine will do with the Olympic and Paralympic Games over the next 10 years. And we take them into a, into a presentation arena. We share with them why the Olympics aligns so closely with our purpose as a company what our content proposition is, and of course, what the advertising opportunity is. We've highlighted within that um, five, uh, what I think are really clear territories for for brands to own. So from celebration, inspiration, information, connection, and of course, the future. And so off the back of the presentation, our power team take our advertising partner through a powered sprint, which is a fully immersive creative experience where we uncover and more clearly define the sort of territories that a particular brand would like to explore with us. And 
So by the time our partner uh, leaves us after a couple of hours, they're already very clear on why the Olympics, why nine, what our content proposition is, the areas that they could explore from an advertising point of view, but importantly, um, how they'd like, they would like their brand to show up in and around the content that we create. And, you know, I think our team in the most humble way have done an excellent job so far. And um, all of those conversations are progressing really, really well. And I expect to have a full contingent of partners and sponsors by the time we get to Paris in less than 12 months. So we should talk very quickly about the packages. Flame and Torch, I think, what are they worth and how many how many partners will you have for Paris? Yeah, so that's right. So we have two packages in, in market. Our top tier partnership package, the Flame package is at $12.5 million across all platforms and the, the Torch package uh, at $10.5 million. Of course, the road to Paris for us and all of our partners starts in January with the Gangwon uh, Youth Olympics. It goes right the way through to uh, the opening ceremony of Paris and then right through to the Paralympics, including a whole heap of cross-platform opportunities across all of our brands and products throughout that period. We've got the capacity and capability to have up to 15 partners and sponsors, and um, and that's where our focus is r- right now as we go sort of through stage one of that of that process, which is pretty exciting. Stan ads. Well, not Stan ads is probably the question, Michael, but there is a, you've got a little twist on this, the appetite for advertisers to get into those ad supported streaming services. Some of your competitors to Stan are doing it. Stan's not going to do it, but you have a, an alternative. Very quickly, what does that look like? Yeah, we're fortunate at Nine to obviously have a Australia's leading uh, local SVOD player in Stan and, um, and Stan Sport. So we have eight and a half million signed in users into the platform and therefore the ability to to access those those users as they um, engage with the rest of our digital ecosystem. And that is that is what we've done. We're creating a number of stand or streaming tribes that would allow advertisers who have a real desire to target streamers. Um, well, you'll be able to do that at scale and en masse across both Nine Now and the rest of our digital platform. We don't. We don't have plans right now to have advertising within Stan. We recognize the understand the Australian market well. There's a, a high propensity for consumers to pay for their subscriptions in Australia, and we obviously have incredibly high penetration. So the economics is not you know the economics don't work. We don't believe, and we're very comfortable and happy right now to have Stan as a standalone SVOD product with its own point of differentiation. And of course, Nine Now is our free ad streaming product right alongside that. But it, it is interesting that a sort of an advertise a company, a media company uh, that has its roots in advertising, is the only one, well, one of the few in streaming that um, is not going to do ads because a lot of your rivals, Netflix, Disney, Binge, they're all piling into the ad formats. It's just an interesting sort of split from the pack, Michael. Yeah, I guess we're fortunate because we, I mean, we have an ad-funded streaming platform. It's mm. called Dynamic. Um, it's got size and scale and it's the dominant player. And then alongside that, we have a competitor um, to Netflix in, in Stan. And, um, and at this point in time, there's no real lead. However, um, if you think about sort of the ability for our company to deleverage itself from advertising cycles, having subscription products in both publishing mm-hmm. and uh, and obviously with Stan from an SVOD point of view, certainly does deleverage us from uh, from market conditions, and that's proven to be a fairly significant advantage for us. Michael, we'll continue with you first in in terms of market sentiment. I know you talked about you feel the cycles on its way to the bottom out on the return, on the rise. What are the conversations in market now, though? What's your sense on what's been asked of of media companies from media agencies and marketers? Where is their attention? Where is their concerns? Yeah, I, I get a sense that there is a that there's an early optimism 
And as I mentioned at the top of this, uh, this podcast, I am on the cautious side. I'd like to see some tangible results before I get too excited by that. What I do know is this, though, is that in about November of last year, we don't understand everything that's happening broadly in the economy. As I mentioned before, inflationary pressure on household budget. You've got interest rate rises. You've got supply chain issues. You've got all of the things that are kind of that are happening in and around the economy. And I think marketers, historically, ad spend has been linked to consumer and business confidence and consumer spending. And I think marketers put the brakes on really early in anticipation of a slowdown in spending. Now, of course, we all know that we haven't seen that. So you have to just have a look at the consumer results in the, the full years that we've just seen. Most companies report a pretty good results given the situation. And what we do know is that that doesn't continue forever unless you advertise. And so what I suspect will happen in the short term is we'll see big brands and big advertisers return to the market and they'll return to the platforms that they know delivers the best results. And that's total television, total audio, and total publishing is the lead. And Nine's really well positioned um, when it comes to that. Liana, the key KPIs for you on audience is what? What are you aiming for that says we've got some momentum, we've got some rhythm back for or that total audience growth? Great question, Paul. Thank like you. every CMO, I am KPI'd on growth targets, on audience growth for our organisation across the board, whether that is free audiences, subscription audiences, you know, across total television, total audio and total publishing. We are Australia's media company. We exist in a growth market where the Australian population will exceed 30 million by 2032. And to oversimplify the world, you know, provided we have the right content distributed in the right places that's easily accessible and easy to find for all of Australia, then I think we have an enormous opportunity at our fingertips. More specifically, I did want to add something to what Steve-O was saying earlier around the Olympics and the Paralympics in particular, because I think it's living proof of the way in which we are taking an audience-first approach. The Olympics and the Paralympics in 2024 and the Olympics all the way through to 2032 will be the most accessible Olympics and Paras, uh, Paralympics that we this country has ever seen. It is an audience-first approach. We already know that Australia is a sport-loving country. What we've seen across the course of this year is that most of our sporting codes across the board are having a, you know, a growth in their, in themselves or a bit of a renaissance in themselves. Whether that is what we've just recently seen with the Matildas who are now, you know, on their road to the Olympics, whether it's what we're seeing in our codes like the swimming or the quality of our breakers coming through, our skaters, our surfers coming through, the growth in that asset, I think is uh, is absolutely case in point of this audience first approach that we are taking and that, you know, we have a long-term sustainable strategy that will take time, but a long-term sustainable strategy to grow our audiences into the Okay. So my final question is in terms of those KPI growth targets that you've got, uh, Liana, if I took a stab and said, okay, maybe they're sitting at sort of three to 4% for total TV, two to 3% for audio, and perhaps line board and negative in publishing, how far off or on the KPIs am I? Next question, PMAC. Thanks for joining both uh, Liana and Michael Stevenson. I did try. I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere, but good conversation and, you know, off the back of a very hectic week. So um, thanks for joining. Look forward to following those audience KPIs, Liana Dubois, and the revenue from Michael Stevenson. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Paul McIntyre. Always a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate it. Always a good chat. Thanks, Paul. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. 
Listener.